Hey everybody, how's it going? This is Joe Shaw, host of the Detox Podcast here, and I just wanted to take a moment um, before the start of this episode to kind of touch base. It is a crazy time in the country right now. It's a crazy time in the world, but with... I, I don't even... I struggle to have words to today to talk about what's going on. I have tried to figure out the best way forward. And I know that the best way forward right now as a white ally in the fight for racial equality is to take a step back, listen, learn, and help elevate voices who can properly speak on the matter. And so that's what I'm attempting to do today. Um, I'll headline what you're going to hear in this episode Um, you're going to hear a couple of things and I'm going to read a couple of things and then we're going to move on. Um, I felt it was important to put something out, to not stay quiet on this issue, having a platform, however small it may be, I know it's going to reach somebody and that's my goal. That's always been the goal of this podcast is if I can help change one person's opinion or influence or make someone's life better then I feel like I've done my job at the end of the day. Um, when I'm done here on this earth. So that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to attempt to uh, reach out to at least just one person who might be listening to this. So what you're going to hear, you know, as I said, I feel woefully unqualified to speak about the racial inequalities affecting our country as well as the world. So I have brought to you three different uh, individuals who I feel are much more equipped to speak on this issue than I am. Uh, so first, I've asked a uh, really good friend, Frank Man- Frank Minicon Jr., who is the COO of uh, children's book company Melanin Origins, um, and he is also one of the co-hosts of the Reality Is podcast. He's been on Detox Podcast before, um, but I've asked him to provide his thoughts on the matter. So you're going to hear that first, and then you, followed from that, you're going to hear a clip from my good friend, Anthony Roberts who was on the podcast back on episode 101 and uh, called It's All a Game. So if you want to hear the full conversation, you can definitely go listen to that. But he is the co-host of the Reality Is podcast, and I would highly recommend you go listen to it. I think even now, more than ever, we need to reach out and listen and consume content from Black-owned creators. I feel like there's not a a lot of that, especially in the podcast space. There seems to not be a lot of that uh, going around as much as there should be. So definitely go check that out. Um, He talks about his perspective um, on race relations in America. And really, that's what both of these clips are. So it's his perspective first. And then what you're going to hear last is also good friend. All of these are good friends, but Jacinto Ramos Jr., who was on, who is on the Fort Worth ISD school board. He has been on the detox podcast a few times, but specifically this clip, even though it's uh, from an older episode, it's back in episode number 17. Uh, I felt it was important to bring it up because he talks about five stages of race relations in America, both for a white person and a person of color. And he brings it up and delivers it much more eloquently than I believe my myself or another white ally could bring. So uh, before, so you're going to hear those three. This is the last you're going to hear of me for the rest of the episode. Uh, so I just wanted to level set. You'll hear Frank's thoughts first, 
Anthony's clip second and Sinto's clip third. Um, in addition, I really felt it was important to um, read a couple of statements uh, before we dig in. So before I do that, um, I want to, uh, before I do that, instead of our regular bumper music that you hear in between the breaks, I really want to highlight um, another good friend who is a, a black blues musician, uh, the Reverend Sean Amos. So you're going to hear clips of some of his songs as the bumper music for this episode. And please go give him a follow. If you want to hear an episode featuring him and his story, you can check out my other podcast after the encore, but really go check out his music, support his music, follow his music, purchase his music, share his music, as well as other black musicians. Um, and, uh, last, uh, you know, I, I am stumbling over my words and I've been talking for about five minutes now and that was not my intent, but I think it's just, I'm still trying to grapple with what all this means. So just wanted to level set the clips you're going to hear and the music you're going to hear. Um, you're not going to hear from me again for the rest of the episode. And I will go ahead and read those statements. So first of all, I want to go ahead and read, um, the human rights, um, the HRC, the human rights campaign, uh, put out a open letter and a, a statement the other day. Uh, so I do want to level set that while it, June is Pride Month, this podcast is definitely going to continue to recognize Pride Month and have interviews and stories and perspectives from members of the LG, LGBTQ plus community. Uh, definitely the tone and the shift will be different. Uh, than maybe what was originally planned, but we will still have those content and episodes, but we will also have content highlighting um, the race relations in America as well. Um, the HRC issued a statement that I would like to go ahead and read um, in solidarity with Black Lives Matter. And it, it, goes, uh, it goes as follows. The LGBTQ community knows about the work of resisting police brutality and violence. We celebrate June as Pride Month because it commemorates, in part, our resisting police harassment and brutality at Stonewall in New York City and earlier in California, when such violence was common and expected. We understand what it means to rise up and push back against a culture that tells us we are less than, that our lives don't matter. Today, we join together again to say, Black Lives Matter, and commit ourselves to the action those words require. Last, I came across this statement um, called, uh, it's under the hashtag podcasters uh, for justice from uh, WOC women of color podcasters. I'd like to, and I was asked uh, along with other podcasters to share it and I would like to do so now. It says, we are podcasters, bloggers, YouTubers, influencers, etc., united to condemn the tragic murders of George Floyd. Brianna Taylor, and many, many others at the hands of police. This is a continuation of the systemic racism pervasive, systemic racism pervasive in our country since its inception, and we are committed to standing against racism in all its forms. We believe that to be silent is to be complicit. We believe that black lives matter. We believe that black lives are more important than property. We believe that we have a responsibility to use our platforms to speak out against this injustice whenever and wherever we are witnesses to it. 
In creating digital media, we have built audiences that return week after week to hear our voices, and we will use our voices to speak against anti-blackness and police brutality, and we encourage our audiences to be educated, engaged, and to take action. Thank you very much for tuning in. I hope that this is able to contribute to the discussion in a meaningful way and further the conversation. Thank you. One last thing, while you're going to hear music from the Reverend Sean Amos in the episode, uh, I did go ahead and actually make the decision to end the episode with playing the full-length version of Fantastic Negrito. Uh, he is, uh, his song, In the Pines. Fantastic Negrito is a fantastic black blues musician, another one. Um, I love both his music as well as the Reverend Sean Amos's, but his song, In the Pines, uh, he released on his album, The Last Days of Oakland, and the song, In the Pines, he talks about, uh, it covers, uh, it's, uh, he's specifically addressing the direct impact that gun violence and the death of black men and sons has on black women. The song originally was performed by folk and blues artist Led Lead Belly in the 1940s. You need to check out his Fantastic Negritos music video to In the Pines, but its lyrics and haunting melody really resonated with me this week, and I hope they will resonate with you as well. So that's actually going to close out the episode as opposed to our regular outro. Thank you so much. Talks podcast. I appreciate you allowing me to come to your platform. It's Frank Minicon, COO of Melanin Origins, co-host of the G Lounge podcast and the Reality Is podcast. And you know what I'll say about what I'm um, observing in this climate right now is definitely a little bit more solidarity regarding those um, those people that are European Americans, those allies. You know, those that are not black and brown, I see them standing with the black and brown people with these protests. I see them marching. I see them utilizing their voices a little bit more so on social media and understanding that we're not going to win this fight alone. Like institutional racism was created and it wasn't assisted by, you know, black and brown people. The system was created by individuals who developed the system to enhance their position and to allow um, things to be set up systematically for them to have privilege in all areas, you know, whether that's education, whether that's in housing, whether that's in banking, whether that's in employment, business ownership, you know, 
these systems are created to empower the European American. Um, so what I'm seeing now is people understanding that uh, the European American's voice is something that's needed to help break this cycle, to help address some of the issues that systematic racism presents. You know, it's not going to be enough for black people uh, or African-Americans to to fight the system alone, you know, because, you know, as Martin Luther King has said in the past, um, you know, injustice anywhere is a threat to justice everywhere. So if we are living in this country, land of the free, home of the brave, you know, um, where all these these, uh, you know, we have these mantras of the forefathers. We hold these truths to be evident that all men are created equal, things like that. You know, all is a very absolute word. It's an absolute term that is supposed to encompass all people, black and brown people, European, Americans, Latino, everyone, you know. So, but unfortunately, we haven't seen it played out that way in our country. But right now, I really believe that this has become a global issue. It's on a global scale. And, and some of that can probably can be contributed to the COVID-19 situation because that in itself was definitely a global epidemic. So we're looking at things in a global sense. So we have people in Syria who are uh, creating artistic murals for George Floyd. You know, we have, um, you know, marches and demonstrations happening in Paris, France, for someone that was killed in Minnesota, Minneapolis, Minnesota, you know, a black man at that. So, you know, that's one of those um, observations that I've had in this situation. This is kind of how I feel about it, that there is definitely a turn in the tides. And um, I think that another thing is the pressure. You know, there's a lot of negativity that people have been dealing with, you know, for especially since the end of last year, beginning of this year with COVID-19. And then, you know, there's been a couple of situations where black people have been killed, you know, and it is getting to the point where non-blacks are getting fed up with it. You know, this system is, 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 has been designed to keep the, the, the black and brown people, the African-Americans, um, on the bottom, you know, the lower crust, so to speak. And I think people are really seeing that for what it is, especially when we look at how the police police these communities. You know, the relationship between the police and these communities is not a good one. And we have even some policies that contribute to that, the stop and frisk laws that contribute to the, the tainted relationship that policing have with, with certain communities. You know, no matter what happens, whether it's Eric Garner selling loose cigarettes or whether it's, um, you know, Trayvon Martin with the Skittles or whether it's, um, you know, Tamir Rice with the gun or Sandra Bland, you know, all of these individuals. Um, I'm not saying that that people shouldn't be held accountable for whatever you know crimes they committed, you know, but it's just there's too many situations where. Things are pretty unclear. And even if it's clear that a crime was committed, the consequence of that crime should never be death. You know, but that only happens or it's only reported in the media when it's black people. You know, and I think that's by purpose. You know, you don't see uh, non-black folks who are getting killed all over social media, all over the news. These things are not being broadcasted. And when these things are broadcasted as often as they are it really does have an effect on the black and brown community, you know, the African-American community. So, um, you know, we talk about PTSD as post-traumatic um, stress disorder, but 
unfortunately, that P is for present traumatic stress, you know, disorder. You know, what, what we're dealing with is in the present. It's the same thing that we've dealt with in the past, the recent past, you know, the long history of police brutality and um, in our communities. You know, it's been an issue for a long time. And so what I feel like is different now is um, I'm, I'm a little bit more hopeful. You know, I'm a little bit more hopeful. You know, I see things happening today, like the attorney general charging all four officers with second degree murder. You know, the, the one officer got charged with second degree murder and then the other three that were standing by as he murdered this man, a 2020 lynching, you know, were charged with aiding and abetting. And, uh, you know, um, second degree murder. So, you know, that was a good decision because I think the problem is we have all these riots and these lootings and things like that. I won't put the, the peaceful demonstrations in the same box as the looters and the rioters is because, um, you know, what we see in a situation where a police officer kills an unarmed African-American male, a black man on TV, on the, you know, on the news what we see is lawlessness. You know, we see a law enforcement official breaking the law. So uh, what happens as a result of that is people feel like, well, then if it's going to be lawlessness, then I'm going to go out here and I'm going to riot and I'm going to loot because that's also something that is a direct, um, you know, I was about to use a cuss word, but it's a direct smack in the face to, to law and order. I'm just going to go out here. I'm going to break windows. I'm going to, light cars on fire, light buildings on fire. You know, it's just a representation of lawlessness. So when we have the law actually stepping in to address the issues of this police brutality, to address this murder, then I think that those individuals um, can look at that and they feel hopeful that at least these people are charged, the law is stepping in and doing the right thing. This man was murdered by the police, and so therefore they need to be charged as such period. You know, they need to be convicted and they need to serve their time for, for murdering this man unnecessarily. You know, so that's how I feel about it. And, you know, today was a good day. I believe the energy is changing. I believe the energy is shifting. You know, people are feeling like their their um, public demonstrations is a voice that they're using. And, and it was heard today because those officers did get charged. You know, I really, truly believe that if they didn't get charged, that the people would have felt hopeless again, you know, even though the one officer got charged, but there were three other officers and failure to charge those officers communicates to the people that it's okay for, um, for, for, for the police to do this to the black and brown folks, to the African-American folks, to the, the disenfranchised folks. So, you know, so it was a good day today. And I think as far as moving forward, what allies can do is, support black businesses you know what i'm saying like don't supporting black businesses should not just be a black thing you know uh, supporting black artists supporting black creatives supporting black initiatives should not just be a black and brown thing you know that's the issue people always feel like the separate but equal thing you know but only time we're going to be able to make any real changes if we actually come together you know um 
everybody has to has to get into the fight. You know, as I always say, they always say black lives matter. And then somebody counters that with all lives matter. Well, of course, all lives matter, but not all lives are on fire right now. You know what I mean? And if we if we all live in a neighborhood, you know, we got black houses, white houses, yellow houses, green houses. If the black house is on fire in that neighborhood and everybody from the other houses doesn't help to put it out, then the whole neighborhood is going to burn. You know, and that's the situation that we were faced with with these riots. You know, everybody is, you know, involved in this thing. You know what I mean? And black folks are just really tired. You know, they're tired. It's exhausting to have to deal with these these traumas on a monthly basis, on a daily basis. You know, it's it's traumatic to have conversations like this with my kids on a daily basis because I have a black son and I have a black daughter, especially for my son. Who, who seems to be, you know, as a black male, the target of white supremacy and the system, you know, um, those are difficult conversations to have. Those are worries that I have as a, as a parent of a black son. So, um, you know, so what allies can do is 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 support these initiatives and to use their 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 dollars to use their economic power, to use their voices, to use their influence and to use their privilege to help break this system because we cannot do it alone. You know, I've said that from the beginning and I will say it, um, you know, I'll say it again. We can't do it alone. We're going to fight the good fight and we need our allies to be right there with us just as, you know, the, the, the black soldiers, the black patriots were there fighting in the past when they, when they, um, you know, Boston Tea Parties and, and different things like that. There are stories of black patriots fighting in the military against the system, right? So if we could participate in those 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 uh, those situations militarily with England and Great Britain during those times when we were trying to establish ourselves as a new world, then in order to really address the issues of this system, we need you know, that to be returned. We need those favors returned and we need allies, European Americans to join in the fight with us against the system. And so we can break this thing and, and turn this thing around for the generations to come. So we don't have to keep dealing with the same old, same old, same old thing. All right. Thank you for your time. I appreciate it. And I hope to uh, do some work with you soon.
I'm self-righteous. <laughs> we all contradict yep. ourselves by saying one thing and doing another. Mm-hmm. And I tell a lot of black people that because we may feel certain ways about white people or white people may feel certain ways about us. Now, we can't be right. Ra- now, I want to solve this for a lot of white people and even black people beg to differ. In my opinion, we cannot be racist in a sense of systemically oppressing people. Right. We can be prejudiced. Sure. That means we do stereotype white people. We are prejudiced against some of the things they do. Right. But and some of us may hate white people for the things that their ancestors did. And I think we should do better with handling that. But it's one of those things I don't go into detail trying to explain because I'm not one to tell black people how to feel. Sure. You know, because yeah. everybody has a range of emotions and what they've dealt with or what right. their families have dealt with. Right. A hundred percent. There is. I. It's just, man, it's so fascinating to me. And one of the things I really enjoy about, about detox and, and detoxing on detox has been the fact that you really, like, I, I really, what I'm committed to in this show, and as we've kind of gone through ramping up to episode 100 and now moving beyond that, which uh, congratulations on following up Dale Hansen. I didn't, couldn't think of anybody better to, yeah. to come after Dale. Oh, shit. You. you know what? Hey. <laughs> hey, I'm trying to be like Dale. I you know what? When I first moved to Dallas, I didn't, I ain't gonna lie, I didn't fuck with Dale. Because I was like, some of this stuff he shouldn't be saying. Or I would be like, <laughs> some of this stuff he should be speaking up about. Yeah. And I think it was two, two or three years ago, he spoke up on, was it a Cowboys incident? He well, spoke up for somebody. I there think, was Michael Sam that got him the big notice. Yeah, he did he, that. He did some other stuff locally. But that's when he really when he started hitting the hammer on the head because a lot of black people may not want to say this, but white people have power. And y'all voices, right. I can be loud and better, but if you come through with the same message, it will be heard. Yeah. And I think we have to get to a point as black people to where it's like, however the fucking main point gets out, that's all that matters. Right. If it's a point that comes from a white person, if it evokes change and it helps us, that's what we need to go with. But the reason it's hard is because we do. And I have been that person, too, where we're like the white man cannot be our oppressor and our savior. Yeah. They can't be the ones meaning not you. Like, if you, yeah, Yeah. like if you were fighting for us, which you are an ally. Right. But if you're fighting for us to get us out of a situation. I would look at it and be like, yo, I fuck with Joe, but I know you. But there's going to be other black people that's going to be like, I know a dude has been screaming this for 20 years. And he just said it one time and he got more fight. And that's the thing that ends up making black people mad, which is why we miss the whole message of Mm -hmm. the message is still being heard. It's just by a different person. You know, there was a so like what I'm trying to do with detox is really get to a point where I'm trying to get lots of people together, break bread, come to the table, because I feel that when we have these one on one conversations in this kind of intimate podcast setting, yeah. we're able to hear each other louder and clearer than we are any other time. And to your point, I think I heard the other day, and I don't remember who said it, so you know, I apologize for misquoting it or whatever, mm-hmm. but it was essentially, I think it was even talking about specifically women in the workplace. I think that might have been the context of it, mm-hmm. but, but it was about, a, but it was across the board of, all oppressive like oppressed groups yeah and it talked about the fact that it said is it frustrating when a white straight male says the same thing and is able to get it done versus anybody else saying it for 10 20 times yes however a good white person ally is able to then say it open the door and then move out of the way and say look i got the door open now it's it's time for me to sit back and allow people who represent this message to sh- share their piece. But you know the tricky get- part? 
is you may want to step back. So I'll give you a, a, sure. a, a great example, and I'm glad because I know white people listen to this podcast mm-hmm. and they get to hear this. The difference is let's put me and you in that situation you sure. just said. So me and you know each other. If I say, hey, Joe, hey, man, it's 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 too much crazy shit going on. We need to try and shift the climate in, in Dallas. Mm-hmm. And I give you the agenda to say. Yep. And you carry that agenda out for me. And then you say, you know what? I know this is not. I, I'm speaking somebody else's words and then you try to move to the side. The thing about it is if it catches wind with the media, the media is not going to want you to go to the side mm-hmm. because the media is going to say it's a white guy fighting for black people. Let's make him the great white. It's, hype. A, uni- it's a unicorn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so let's make him the great white. Yeah, hype. Yeah, yeah, and yeah. then what they're going to try to do is either pay the black guy off or force feed him some bullshit to fall in line with this. Or they're going to say, why don't y'all do this together? Yeah. Which I would be okay with it together, but most of the time it's they want to keep the black person there, especially if that person is if if it's if it doesn't appease to the optics of the masses, right. that that person is definitely going to be on the back burner. Right. And the reason I say that is me, you know, tattoos, right, dreads, muscular guy beard, like I'm so outside of the line of conforming. You know what I'm saying <laughs> yeah, for a corporate, which right. is why I'm not really in that corporate right. setting. But that's the issue with it. You know what I'm saying? You would try to do that, and then you know what happens? The media makes you out to be the bad person. They don't make you to be the bad person, but by by yep. elevating you and leaving them behind, you're automatically going to be hated by other black people. Right. And they know that shit, which then creates the narrative of racism, prejudice, and it makes more money than it does by doing the right thing. Mm-hmm. Because now 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 we're taking this further, right? And it's like in this in this narrative, it's like so, you know, I've been elevated by you know, there's people that listen to this podcast that listen to Fox News and CNN. So I'll just like throw them both under yeah. the bus. But you have CNN saying, great white savior. Yeah. Right. And it's amazing because yeah. he's a unicorn. And he's helping. And you have Fox News saying, oh, wow, it's 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 crazy how crazy this white person is. Yeah. And then they're not going to focus. They're going to focus less on me. Yeah. But if you say, yeah, I was a part of it. CNN may or may not include that. But yeah. Fox News will say, oh, this crazy black man is trying to take credit for what the white man did. Yeah. So you see, you can't trust them. You can't. But that's why I think this meet and that's why podcasting and Robert's media group Mm -hmm. and creating your own lane and your medium is for first thing we talked about when you came in. And as I was like, Joe, first of all, welcome to Robert's media group. We're glad to have you. But it's true diversity. Right. And I talk about it all the time with work. I'm like, you hear white people at work say diversity. And it's like diversity to them is hiring a Mexican woman, a white man, a white man, a white man, a white woman, a white woman. A black man, right? A white, and then go—that's diversity. And one of them, dro- one of them is gay. Yeah, just and, exactly. <laughs> just, but they have to drop <laughs> that in there. In but yeah. true diversity yeah. is even if you hire one minority, seven whites, and another minority, twenty whites. Diversity is getting them into a room or having a town hall meeting quarterly to say, "Hey, if you hear Suzanne giggling in the background." This is just Suzanne. Suzanne doesn't, she's not laughing at anybody. Or if you hear Artesia talking to Anthony and they seem a little louder, black people and Africans are just louder. That's in their nature. Mm-hmm. If you hear a Mexican do something or speaking in whatever, that's, if they're a native Mexican, they're speaking their language. They don't have to speak English in this fucking office. Diversity means it allows everybody to be themselves and we find a way to fucking cope and get along with it. There was a, there's a really good phrase called diversity of thought. Mm-hmm. And I think, it's, I think it's a tech phrase and it means getting the best diverse minds in a room yeah. to solve a problem. To solve a problem. And what I love extrapolating that, I know it, I, and I could be 
incorrect, but I heard it from a tech person and they were referencing it in a tech environment. Mm -hmm. So I feel like that's appropriate to say it's, it was a tech phrase, but I think that can be extrapolated across the board and Mm -hmm. say, whenever you're trying to do anything, you need diversity of thought. It doesn't matter if everybody looks the same or doesn't look the same. Are they thinking the same? Are they bringing perspectives from each corner of the globe? Are they bringing perspectives from, you know, a broadcast or a you know, uh, a journalist, uh, you know, like, does everybody have yeah. a skill that they're bringing that can sharpen someone else? And when you pair people off, they're able to create amazing content or amazing products or whatever it is. Yeah. That's what you got to look at. And I think, yes, I think the very first step for diversity for a lot of white people was, all right, well, let's hire others that don't look like us, yeah. but they're stuck in that. I mean, that happened in the fifties, sixties, whatever, yeah. you know, and like, they're still stuck in that mindset. And yeah. it's like, no, Everybody, it's 2019. Everybody literally thinks differently. Yeah. So now you have to find out who is who is going to bring something you don't already have. Yeah. That's what you got to look at. I just like diversity. I just, for me, I think I've never really said this on air before, but this is a thought I've always had. Because you know, so many people hate. Let's just talk black and white. They hate like interracial dating. Yeah. But it's like if me and Artesia have a kid, it's going to be a beautiful black baby. Yep. You already have kids, beautiful children. Yeah. But if you slept with a black woman, you're also going to make something great right. and a beautiful child. White children are beautiful. Black be- children are beautiful. Interracial children are beautiful. We all can do things great together. We can do th- great things separately, and we can also do great things together. And I think when we stop looking at working together as you know, a hierarchy all the time, it could be better. But it's, it's like every – I don't know. We just have that – everybody has that savior complex or God complex – and for me, it, it's racism is something and, and just talking about diversity is things that I could talk about all day. But the disheartening part about it is it's it hasn't changed, really. Yep. I mean, it's yep. gotten better by being maxed. Right. Like they put a mask over it. Yeah. But it's still there. Like and, it, and I think that's the disheartening part, which is why I used to be a, a avid person fighting for racism, like fighting against it and wanting to talk. And now it's like I'll just say it to just get my perspective or talk about diversity. Right. But I'm like, yo, it, is it ever going to actually change, though? That's the good question. And I, what I, I have a lot of white straight males mm-hmm. that come to me and say, how can I be a good ally? And the first thing I say to them is I said, whatever you're trying to be an ally for, black rights, women rights, mm-hmm. gay rights, anything across the board that you're trying to be an ally of, I said, you need to put yourself in spaces where they're already congregating. Mm-hmm. You need to educate yourself offline, meaning, or not online away from like you don't need to you, you don't need to come to a gathering and say hey oh what what are dreads you need to ha- <laughs> lord have a basic premise of what the fuck you want to know men artesi was just download about urban that. dictionary on your phone and just start looking that's what i did a long time ago and look at words and figure things out yeah that's one of the things especially with having dreads because you have white people be like oh you got your hair done he'd be like yeah so did they take all of that down and then redo it again and i'm like huh no this is these are consistently locked right. all i do is take them down just like you have white long hair yours is thinner mine's is thicker i wash it dry it and I keep it moving. Right. You can do the same thing you do yeah. with it. But like you said, it's just about reading up on it. Just before I got locks, I read about right. Rastafarian culture and the religion and behind right. dreads and locks before I got them to understand right. the purpose of it. Right. So I tell people to, to go into that area, educate themselves separately, yep. and then don't blank splain. Don't yep. mansplain, don't black splain, don't gay splain. Just don't explain. Yeah. Just just be there and say like and get to know the people on an individual level and then if you're in a situation where someone is being racist or sexist mm-hmm. or whatever, 
it is then your job to be like, hey, that's not cool. Yeah. You don't need to like get on a soapbox, but you need to call them out in the moment yeah. and say like, hey, that's not cool. Same Let's- way you would do for if somebody was disrespecting your friend right. or your wife exactly. or your family member, you do it across the board. Yes, absolutely. Because why? And not to be funny, when it, in high school and and with a lot of even when you watch movies, if it's a black movie, it's always that one white girl or white boy yep. that's in a group of black people. And we always fucking take care of them. Yeah. If it, even if it's other black people that's like, yo, he ain't no black person. Why y'all like we gonna fucking check you. Right. We just want that same energy. Yep. Like if we fuck with y'all or if y'all say we work together or we coworkers or we're a friend, stand up for me against your fucking people. Right. Because we can stand up against them ourselves, but it's going to get us in trouble. Yeah. So it's like if you're able to do, like if a dude came up, if I went out to a bar with you and a white guy was like, you know, the service was clearly different. If we came together and he gave you a beer and he took longer with mine and you saw him ignoring me, like if you didn't say, yo, what's the problem? Right. It's no different like today. And, and it's difficult. Today, me and Artesia, we went to eat before we came here. Right. And when we walked in, it's the second time this week we walked into a place Nobody looks at us. Nobody seats us. So we seat ourselves. We get to the bar and nobody's paying attention to us. So like I got up from the, the bar today and I walked over to the guy, the the server who was eating a fucking sandwich behind the booth. And I said, what's the uh, what's the, the seating arrangement or right, process in right. here? He's like, oh, I'm sorry. I was like, well, we've already set ourselves at the bar. But can y'all send somebody to ask us? What do we want? Yeah. The place we went to last week was even worse. 504 Grill right here in Dallas. You should never fucking go there. <laughs> Literally went in there, bro. The The booth was dirty. Nobody set us. We set ourselves, started to clean off the booth. This white chick came out of the back, and um, she was like, who's going to serve them? Because I'm not. Whoa. We looked. I was like, cool. I wanted to go slap off, but I was just like, yo, let's just go somewhere else because I'm not spending my fucking money here. Yeah. But it's like that's the kind of shit that you deal with on an everyday basis, which leads you to feel a certain way about white people. Because if we treat y'all a certain way, it's because y'all motherfuckers have done something to us mm-hmm. or you haven't. But we've dealt with that kind of shit all week long, every day right. to where when we do see one, even if you're trying to be nice, we may look at you like you got shit on you or whatever. And that's that time that we probably should have been nice. But because we don't got shit on all week by y'all people, we be like, fuck being nice. Yeah. And it sucks, but that's the reality, yeah. man. The reality is. Yes. <laughs> that's the reality, bro. <laughs> there was um what I had a friend who told me he was like, I I you know, I I want to be an active ally. I do all this thing, all this stuff. And I and he was talking to me and talking to me. I said, Hey, uh, do you watch Atlanta? And he was like, yeah, I love yeah. that show. And I'm like, cool, cool, cool. Do you know the episode where they go to the people's house and it's the white dude and he's like showing off how cool he is, yeah. how great of an ally he is? Yeah. He's like, yeah. I'm like, that's what you sound like right now. You yeah. should probably just <laughs> tap the brakes on that. Just shh. Yeah. You didn't like that guy, right? And he was like, no, he's obnoxious. I'm like, right. You might want to tap the yeah. brakes. Just like, hey, I love Chance the Rapper too, yeah. but I don't need to talk about it. You don't. And that, that is weird. I don't know why white people do that, but it's like they'll find the blackest thing they know. And then they'll be like, yo, so do you, it's almost like we feel like they've studied it before they come. Did you hear that new Nas album? Yeah. And then they'll break down every song and you'll be like, shit, it just came out this morning, bro. I hadn't had time to listen to it. But that's when you know that they're trying too hard. Right. And, and we don't overcorrect. Yeah. We don't yeah. dislike them. But at that time we're like, okay, that's annoying. Like you said, it's yeah. very annoying because that's kind of like us coming up saying, uh, I don't even, not to be funny, I don't even know what I would fucking ask a white person because black culture, un, un, unfortunately, you see that new Steve Carell movie? Yeah, that's what I would have like, to do and just be, be like, oh, yeah, he's it. hilarious. And you're like, yeah, I love him. But white people are surprised in. when black people watch white people shows. Like if somebody be like, oh, you watch Criminal Minds? Yeah. Oh, you watch, uh, 
what's the Law and Order or like yeah. any like predominantly white show? Like right. I like all that shit. Good TV to me is good TV. Right. So. What would you say to someone who, well, I think we kind of already said it a little bit, but I guess if you had a more succinct way to tell someone like who, I don't know, maybe they're an ally, maybe they're not, and they're trying to, let me, let me back this up. Let me rephrase it a little bit. I think there's a lot of, there was a period of time where white people were like, oh, I don't see color, mm-hmm. right? And that was the, hate that. that was called in the, in the, in the white spaces, the progressive white spaces, yeah. like this is the right thing to say, yeah. right? I don't know who said it, probably yeah, a white that guy. that was a terrible anyway, idea. But if someone is still kind of stuck in that mindset, but is trying, what they mean by that is like, I'm trying to just treat people, if you're good people, you're good people. If you're not, you're not. Yeah. What would you say to them as far as the way to elevate their thinking and yeah. their basic approach to people across the board? Yeah. In my opinion, because a black person will listen to this and be like, this nigga don't speak for everybody. <laughs> Or every black person. But really, to be honest, what I would say, first of all, when you say I don't see color, we actually want you to see color. Right. Because in my opinion, from people I've talked to, if you say you don't see color, then that means you're still not doing what we want you to do. Right. Acknowledge the shit that black people have went through. Acknowledge the shit that y'all people have done to our people. That's what we want. You know what I'm saying? So if by saying I don't see color, then that means you don't see the history of what this color has gotten us into. Right. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. So by acknowledge, I would just, first of all, don't ever say I don't see color. If you want to be a great ally, don't force yourself on black people. But if you have friends, like just say, for instance, if you work next to a guy named Reggie in a cubicle at work and you never spoke to Reggie, maybe one day when you come in, just say, hey, Reggie, how you doing today? First of all, Reggie's going to be taken off. You know, he's going to be caught off guard. He's going to be like, why the fuck is he speaking to me today when he's never spoken to me? Right. But just by going in saying, hey, or if you work with that guy, maybe if you see him coming, opening the door for him and, you know, like you would do anybody else. Because a lot of times I don't think white people are racist, but sometimes they're so scared of us. They don't interact with us at all. Right. And that's kind of we put you in a box with racist because that's what racism looks like to us when you're like hands off, don't want to interact when you really could just be scared. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? But yeah. opening the door, just being normal around us. Right. If it's a certain type of food you like and you hear Reggie talking about liking, you know, lasagna or something, you'll say, well, hey, Reggie, have you tried this? My wife makes a great lasagna. Something, Just slide stuff in there. Sure. Not yeah. to be funny, the same way you would want to talk to a girl, you wouldn't just jump right on her and be like, hey, I saw you on Facebook. I saw you wearing blue on Tuesday. This, You just go in and you speak to her yeah. and then you let the conversation flow. Tallahassee's honorary Forgetful servant Fades away Pulling up behind the half-line Stranger than today about you know kind of privilege and use the privilege you have recognize it and i think that's extremely powerful because i think too many people don't recognize the privilege they have and the ability they have to make good of that um how how have you kind of seen that being um you know a a hispanic dad here in texas and in america and just kind of what has some of those conversations you've had with your sons related to that. And also like, what have you seen with other families and as you've been able to help them? So you're going to get me into one of my uh, sweet spots. Yeah. The, the, that was, the, that was the goal. <laughs> well, my, one of my sweet spots is, is talking about race and the social construct mm-hmm. of race. 
Uh, I teach on it at TCU. I'm an adjunct there in the criminal justice department. And so we can't talk about criminal justice if we don't talk about race and the mm-hmm. impact that it has. Uh, we talk about race in my neighborhood all the time. We talk about race on the school board. Our school board passed a racial and ethnic equity policy calling out systemic racism. Mm-hmm. When you've got 89% children of color and the 11% are seriously outperforming them, that's a systems issue. Yep. That's not a human capacity issue. And so what we do is we always start the same conversation that you, or the same question you've asked. We always start with the history of race, and it's a brief one, but it's for anyone that wants to uh, get unplugged from the system, from the matrix, so to speak, <laughs> is, is, to, is to Google uh, the origin of Caucasian. And what the person will find is you'll find that there's a skull on, on most of the images of the links, and the skull is linked to Johann Blumenbach. Johann Blumenbach came up with this scientific theory or science and in, in from a theory and said that that white people caucasians from the caucus mountains were the most superior most beautiful people in the world mm. his limited wow. science that he had in the late 1700s early 1800s and when he used that uh and published it and put that out there it was something that white people could use to their advantage to say look there's science that proves that white people are superior mm. that is how this country was founded we use that same narrative and all of our founding fathers used it as well. We use Christianity. We use the Bible to justify mm-hmm. all of that. So when I'm looking at race, I'm looking at it from historical perspective first. Sure. That I understand that this is a social construct. It doesn't exist. Mm-hmm. It's not real. That the melanin in my skin or the lack thereof should not be dictating the, the assumption of my capacity. So when I'm telling you that I'm changing the narrative, I'm really coming from the point of where race started. Mm-hmm. And that this is one guy's idea and it's gone worldwide because it benefits one group of people. Mm-hmm. So then you have dominant group, you have non-dominant groups. So in our country, we started with Caucasoid, Mongoloid, Australoid, and then Negroid. This has been systemically designed. So if, if we're looking at the statistics and the data and education, education was designed for white, male, wealthy, heterosexual Christian. So it does, those that are not in those categories don't perform as well. So the system is working exactly the way it was designed to work. The criminal justice system, same way. It was designed to benefit other people. And if you've seen 13th, the documentary on Netflix, gives you a great argument as to why black men are the number one targeted group in our country. So everything that plays out in the media, I've got answers to the root causes. And for me, I'm a big history buff. So when I look at that, I'm not being lied to anymore. I can't have a presidential administration telling me that this is the narrative and I have to believe it. Right. Because when you know the history, then you, then you know where to go with it. So understanding the social construct of history, uh, of race, and the history that goes along with it, allowed me to educate my sons in my home to say that there are racial identity scales that we can assess where people are at. So having done all those years of gang intervention and working with juveniles in, in the facility, the conversation with children of color has historically been, I don't like white people. White people are the enemy. It's the man. The man's got the foot on my neck. I've been able to take that that conversation, begin with an academic understanding of race, and then be able to explain to them that that human beings are way more complex because of this construct. Mm -hmm. So you can't unpackage race unless you understand it. So I'm going to give you for free 99, as we say in my neighborhood. (laughs) Hashtag free 99. Something that I... uh, that I train on uh, here locally and around the country, and even more so on school boards, because school boards are mesmerized as how five white board members of Fort ISD and four of color passed the racial and ethnic equity policy unanimously. 
Well, I'm going to tell you how I did it. These are one-on-one -on -one conversations I had with my colleagues. So we're going to go with white America. And you notice I don't say Caucasian because the term Caucasian is outdated. Mm -hmm. That'd be as if we're calling Asian people mongoloids, australoids, and then the black people calling them negroids. Mm -hmm. So white people, white Americans. Stage one is, is a white person in this country. And it's only relevant to the U.S. because of our history. Stage one is a white person who believes they're superior to other groups. That's easy to identify. Mm -hmm. We're all over the news this weekend in Virginia, right? Yeah. yeah. There's yeah. a stage one mentality of, of they are superior and, and everyone else is inferior. Um, it used to be, I think, a lot easier to hide up until recently, last couple of years. I think mm -hmm. a, little, a couple more people are a little bit more open about it now. Mm -hmm. Stage two is a white American who's becoming aware of saying, my God, what's going on in Virginia right now? Right. What's, been, what's been happening in St. Louis? What's been going on with this Black Lives Matter? Race still a problem? We just had a black president. <laughs> okay, I guess we do have yeah, a problem. Yeah, black president, <laughs> racism's ended. Yeah. All right, we're <laughs> Stage three is a white uh, American who who sees the racism and the effects everywhere. Mm. So let's stick with educators for a minute. These are teachers who are, are white Americans who maybe lived in outside of these communities and are now coming in to teach at Fort Worth ISD at Stop Six or Deep South Side or the North Side. I've been able to operate off of stereotypes that this narrative of you was such and such. Mm -hmm. But now I'm in the classroom and I'm teaching you and I'm getting to know you. And my goodness, you're an amazing human being. My goodness, your parents, they do care. They do mm -hmm. want to get involved. My goodness, this neighborhood, not only has, does it have great food, but it's got great people. <laughs> this sense of community is something I'm drawn to. So why are you not performing in the classroom? And in a stage three, they get, they get filled with what's called that white guilt. Mm -hmm. And in that white guilt in stage three... I've, that that can determine and drive my behavior and my decision making. So what we what I'm telling stage three white teachers is, don't pity your kids, mm -hmm. your students in your classroom. It's what we call in Spanish the pobrecito and pobrecita factor. So in a stage three, because you pity me in my classroom, you're gonna let me what they what they used to do at Northside. You're gonna let me turn my homework in late, and and when I fail my test, you're gonna let me retake it. Lowering right? that standard. Lowering that standard. Right. Not because it's the right thing to do, but because I, I feel for you. Mm -hmm. Right? And, and so in that three, that's a dangerous part for, for a white individual to be because your decision making is done out of guilt so that you can sleep better at night. Right. right. Not for the right yeah. reasons. Now, to, to take a pause, where do you think that children of color, especially in the hood, where do you think they see white people? One or three? One. Yes. One. Thank you. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. They're going to do a flash judgment. They're going to see your white. Boom. They're a one. Mm -hmm. They don't know how to explain it, but I'm helping them articulate that there's a continuum of white. Right. Now, does it does that that comes from the narrative that's been perpetuated? Yeah. Even, yeah. yeah. Absolutely. If I mean, well, obviously have personal not. experience, too, <laughs> yeah. but, but I mean, like, that's all part of that narrative. That's yeah. right. Because we have also been fed a storyline about you. And, and until I have interactions or experiences other than that, if the only people that have been coming in and harassing my community historically have been white people. Okay. If all my educators predominantly look white, which in me, I grew up in 70, I was born in 74. The majority of my people in my community were white. They were giving me my education. And I, I had probably nine out of 10 great experiences, but I remember that one negative one, mm. but then I'm going to lump everybody into one category. Right. And only education can get a white person from three to a four and an education and also recognizing, and acknowledging that what I'm feeling is not, shouldn't be okay. Let me do some reading. Let me figure out what this means. And in a four, it's a white American saying, what does it mean to be white in this country? Is this thing about Johan Blumenbach? Is there any truth to that? 
is this historical context of, of everything from Caucasoid to Negroid. Is there any truth to that? And if there is, how do I benefit, if at all? And if I come to the realization that I have certain privileges and my children probably have certain privileges that other people don't, then what does that mean for me? And if from a four, once a white American comes to terms with that, they can move to a five. I love stage fives. Stage five. <laughs> stage, stage five. I use that hashtag. So there you go. <laughs> a stage five white American is a white American who they know they're white. And they don't take any blame for having enslaved anybody or having oppressed anybody. They, my, if my ancestors did that, then, you know, that's not my problem right now. Right. What is my issue is we got work to do. Yeah. Right. So I'm not driven by guilt. I'm driven by action. Mm -hmm. And you're not going to guilt me. If I'm a teacher, you're not guilting me in that I'm a bad white person. A stage five have thickened their skin to say, yeah, I'm white. And yeah, I do recognize that I may have certain privileges, but you got some too. Let's talk about those. Yeah. Right. And no, I'm not going to let you retake the test and turn it in late because when you get to college, they're not going to let you do that. Right. So why don't we go ahead and prepare you now right. and raise the bar and let's handle our business. See, people of color that are historical figures had stage fives along their side. Mm -hmm. Right. Cesar mm -hmm. Chavez and Dolores yeah. Huerta, they had stage fives. Gandhi had stage fives. Mm -hmm. So when we're telling it's an education for people of color as well. So the people of color don't put everybody on stage one. Right. right. That there's a continuum. People of color, we got our own stages. Here we go. Stage one, person of color who looks down on their own people. They prefer dominant values. Mm -hmm. So this is a person of color who oppresses their own people, you know, a, a lot worse than even a white person might. This is a house Negro versus a field Negro, mm -hmm. right? So a stage one, it's a dangerous part to put in, 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 in stage ones have historically been used by white Americans in stage one to, to rule and to govern. Right. So when I'm coming into office, I'm like, no, ain't no way I'm going to be a stage one. Right. A stage two is a person of color, same as stage two white person who's saying, my God, race is a problem. When I was in Haslett, I met a number of parents of color who had no idea that racism was still a problem. Wow. They had moved out and had the privilege to not have to think about it. Mm -hmm. But I tell you what, when my son and two other kids got stopped out in South Lake Carroll, walking into a Barnes and Noble, and the only ones that got stopped was my son, who was Latino and an African-American kid. The white student realized, my God, race is a problem because the white student got to walk in, but he had to leave his two buddies out for a minute. Here's a beautiful piece about young people. He walked right back out and said, I'm not going in then. If my black and my Latino friend can't go in, I'm going to stay out here with them. So I think that there's more young people between the four and the five range just because they're a lot more forgiving and they haven't had to live so many experiences. That might just be one of the theories, right? But at stage two, they're just becoming aware. The dangerous part for stage twos is when if that young African-American kid's mom, she had a choice to make that night when I took him home. She could have said, you know what, well, what did you do? You know, what did you do to stand out or it's, it's to, to project blame on him, right? What did you do to get stopped and not be allowed to go into Barnes & Noble? Mm -hmm. Or she had the other choice, tell him the truth. It probably may have been related to a skin color. If the two kids of color can't walk in and the white one does, right. tell the kid the truth, right. right? Because if we don't tell them the truth, then we're doing the internalized version. Right. They're internalizing that, and then there's that belief of there's something wrong with me. Yeah. There's something wrong with my people in my community. A stage three is a person of color, and these are all over the hood. A stage three is a person of color, very different from stage three white. What they do is they're, they're learning, they're rooted, they're, they're, they're proud, brown pride, black pride, you know, black power, brown power, 
LULAX, um, you know, this is public enemy stage, right. you know, fight the power. Right. Right. So the good thing is that they're getting rooted. And so as we talked about the State Board of Education, in my case, I know that the State Board of Education doesn't want my kids, my la- kids of Latino descent to have their history. There's a reason why, because I understand race. You know why you don't want me to know my history? Because if I'm unrooted, then I can't function. Mm-hmm. I'm disoriented in this society. So in the stage threes, when I was at UT Arlington and I had Dr. Jose Angel Gutierrez, who taught me about Corky Gonzalez, Joaquin Murieta, and I'm learning about Latino leaders that help make this country great already. So now in the three, I'm feeling pride, and this is where we tell young people, you can't love the fruit if you don't love the root. <laughs> Tagline. Right? Yep. Oh, yeah, that's our line. So yeah. then the good and bad. The good yeah. is that I'm getting rooted. The bad is I'm going to be real. There's very little, if no room for white people in stage three. Hmm. So a lot of kids in the inner city who have been fed the narrative that white people are bad, they're more likely to be in a three and look at you as the enemy versus as a friend or an ally. Mm-hmm. We have to have positive experiences with you. And we have to have people that guide us along the line. Now, so when young people see me in the, in the community in a suit, they're going to say, huh, is he a one or a three? What do you think they're going to say about me? One. one. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are good. <laughs> <laughs> they're going to say, man, this dude done sold out a long time ago. Mm-hmm. And then they hear me talk. They hear me speak. They're like, dang, bro, you dropping knowledge. They, they, had, think, they had an interaction with they you. They had an interaction. Yeah. And yep. they think I'm a three. And I'm telling them, homeboy, homegirl, I'm beyond a three. Yeah. But only through education do you get there. Same way. So three to a four. A four is a person of color who says, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I got that in my stage three. But in a four, I have been fulfilled. I have been fed. My sons, my job has been to feed them positive narrative about being of Mexican descent, specifically of Purupecha indigenous people from the mountains of Michoacan. So when my kids have that understanding, they've been fed now. They can hit a four, which is to say this world is bigger than just Mexicans. Right. <laughs> in my case, we went to Europe last summer for over two weeks and we went everywhere from Poland all the way to Ireland. My kids were ready to be fed. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Right. Yeah. They've been through a three. Yeah. Now, when my son hits TCU, he's able to identify his white colleagues at what stage they might be. Mm-hmm. My son comes back and says, I've got a roommate that's in stage so and so and I've got a friend that's in stage so and so. It teaches us how to interact with one another, mm-hmm. what messaging they want to hear. So in a four, now that you realize this world is bigger than just Mexicans, you can be you can learn from other people. In a five, I love stage five and people of color as well. <laughs> stage five is a person of color who says, look, I know who I am and I know where I come from. I feel strong. I feel rooted. And that's the part where I become unapologetic. And in a five, my value system is so strong that I stand with who I am, that any time that I speak at the Fort Worth Club, Colonial Country Club, or in the back streets in the hood, I always say, my name is Jacinto Ramos Jr., a.k.a. Cinto. And so folks will usually say, hey, can you give me that name in English? Absolutely. It's Jacinto (laughs) Ramos Jr. (laughs) (laughs) Because what I'm demonstrating is even not mispronouncing my name. This is for me. That's like us. Cinto, welcome to the podcast. I ain't mad at nobody for how you pronounce my name, but me, I, right? My I statement is. I don't dare mispronounce my old man's name. He gave me his name. I'm a junior for a reason.
And you...